Hello, and welcome to Orchid Story, a podcast for women who have experienced a big event in their lives that divided it into the before and after. I'm Rachel Nussbaum, and I'm here to help you find meaning and healing through personal narrative now that your life looks different than the one you expected. I'm sharing stories from real life. The details may be different from your story, but the connection is universal. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of the Orchid Story podcast. I have a fantastic story and interview with Jessica Robinson to share with you today, and I'm really excited to do that. Before I get there, I want to check in with you. How about we ask ourselves how we're feeling today? How are you feeling right now? I've been doing some research and reading into emotional intelligence and the idea of the permission to feel our feelings and finding that it's actually a skill we need to develop. I think it relates to storytelling because our stories are filled with emotions. And if we aren't in touch with how we're feeling, we really can't access those stories that we may have shoved down and stored away and compartmentalized. I'm realizing just how important it is for us to understand what we're feeling and name it. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, I encourage you to make sure you are on my newsletter. I will have an offering, a new offering that um, will be really accessible and affordable coming out in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you're on my newsletter list to hear about that when it comes out. You can head over to orchidstory.com to sign up for my newsletter. It's right there on the front page, on the home page. And I also have another ask of you. So you know that you're at home right now, most likely, unless you are an essential worker. And if you are, hats off to you and thank you. Deepest of gratitude for the work that you're doing for our country. If you are home, you know that time is really weird right now and Things that maybe feel like should be simple and straightforward become like these big projects to tackle. And in some ways for me, the podcast is like that. So it takes a lot of time and effort to record for the podcast, to get people on as interviews and just to, um, to put it up and to put it out and to promote it. And it's something I have found during this time of physical distancing that is pretty hard for me to tackle and have time for. So I need to see some evidence that people are really loving these episodes. I do track the metrics and I'm seeing that fewer people are listening to the episodes. If you're one of my listeners, would you do me a favor and please leave me a rating and review for the podcast? It would mean the world to me and it would help me to keep going to know that this is meaningful for you and, and you want me to continue trying to find the time to do it in this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. To write me a review, all you need to do is open the podcast, the Orchid Story podcast in Apple Podcasts and open it so that you can see my little photo at the top and then the list of the episodes on the screen in front of you. 
scroll down to ratings and reviews and then click where it says write a review. If you could do that for me, I would be so grateful and it would really give me some encouragement to keep going with the podcast. So thank you. And if you've already done it for me, a huge thanks. I'm really grateful for your support. Okay, we're going to switch gears and move on to my interview with Jessica Robinson. Jessica began performing stories in front of audiences in 2007, performing for Better Said Than Done, Story District, The Grapevine, Perfect Liars Club, and George Mason University's Fall for the Book Festival, and at venues such as Jam and Java, The Old Shabine, Atlas Performing Arts Center, the City of Fairfax Library, the National Women's Equality Movement, Monument, sorry, the National Mall, and Franklin Park Performing Arts Center. She has been around and does all of this storytelling live from the stage. Jessica's one-woman show, Tech Babies, is about infertility and prenatal complications, and it premiered in 2015 at Stories in the Round. Jessica performed at Exchange Place at the International Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee in 2018 and at the Susquehanna Folk Festival Liars Competition in 2019 and as a featured performer in the inaugural Women's Storytelling Festival in 2020. Jessica is a co-author of the anthology Roar, True Tales of Women Warriors, which won honors in the 2019 Storytelling World Awards. Jessica has led storytelling workshops for individuals as well as Marie Stopes International, George Washington University, AHRQ, the Brookings Institution, and the World Bank. You can find out more about Jessica on bettersaidthandone.com and also at Better Said Than Done on all the social channels. Here is my interview with Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the Orchid Story podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm hanging in there. How are you and your family doing in, in week seven of staying at home? Um, well, so far, none of us has um, grievously injured the other, so I, I'd call that a win. <laughs> I've definitely considered it a few times, but... <laughs> and who's, who's in your house with you? Uh, my husband and my two little kids. So I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and, uh, and, uh, and this pandemic has not slowed them down. They have a lot of energy. Yeah, for sure. One thing I've been saying is that you live in Virginia, not far from me. And I've been saying a lot and appreciating a lot that we actually are in spring. Are you feeling that with the younger kids? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we are so lucky because we have a backyard. So thankfully my kids can get outside every day and they do. And that's, we kind of, we call it like running them. Like we just like send them out into the backyard and say, go run around. And, (laughs) and that helps. I think that's part of the reason um, we have not, you know, (laughs) grievously injured either of them. (laughs) Got it. Well, I'm so excited and happy that you're here with us today. You are someone that I consider a professional storyteller. And so I'm excited to hear the story that you've brought for us and to get some of your insight into storytelling. So why don't, if you want to set us up for your story, go ahead. Or if you don't, that's fine too, but I'm going to turn it over to you to uh, get started. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I think I'll dive right in other than to say that I've, um, I wrote this story originally for a storytelling show. Um, so I'll, I'll share it with you now. In August of 2006, my dad called to tell me that they found a lump the size of a grapefruit in his lungs, small cell lung cancer. The doctors gave him a year to live, but just a few years earlier, my mom had been given the same prognosis and she only lasted three months. I was raised by my mom. She was a fantastic mom and it killed me when she died. When I got off the phone with my dad, there was no question in my mind. I knew he was going to die. What I told myself was, at least it won't be as devastating as when mom died. My parents divorced when I was four. The only memories I have from before the divorce were of screaming and crying. My dad screaming and me crying. He wasn't a bad man, it was just a bad marriage. And I was the last of three kids who all added stress to an unhappy situation. After he moved out, I only got to see my dad on weekends, not even every weekend. He was my dad and he was gone. He became the thing I wanted most in the world. And so my life became a waiting game. The weekends when he'd call to say he was coming, I sat in the front window and watched for him. It felt like forever. As each car approached the house, I repeated over and over with building excitement, daddy's car, daddy's car, daddy's car. And then as the car inevitably passed by, I sighed and said, not daddy. He was always late. I was heartbroken because he never showed up when he said he would. When my dad arrived, he'd find me in tears. Mom would calm me down, get me quiet, and dad would apologize to me, and I forgave him. He was my dad, and he was finally there. After what seemed like years of hoping he'd get there sooner and stay longer, reality sunk in. He wasn't going to arrive on time. He wasn't going to be there when I needed him. And so I stopped waiting. By the time I was a teenager, weekly visits turned into monthly visits, and then sometimes not even that. Dad didn't yell very often anymore. I knew how to avoid angering him. Despite the fact that I accepted his rules, I lost the hero worship I'd had for him. I started to see him as a man. He was bad-tempered, he drank too much, he made a lot of mistakes in his life, and sometimes he acted as if his kids were some of them. He made me feel like a responsibility, someone who required too much of his time and money, not like the most important person in the world. Still, I didn't want to give up on him. He was my dad. He deserved a chance to prove that he loved me. So I played a kind of game. I stopped calling him. Weeks went by before he finally called me, and when he did, he gave me a guilt trip. What's going on? You can't call your father anymore? I said, I could say the same to you, Dad. You didn't miss me? He didn't hesitate. I was waiting for you to call me. If you want to talk to your father, you should call him. 
I did want to talk to him, but what I wanted more was for him to want to talk to me. So I went back to waiting for him to call, to testing him. And that's when we really grew apart because he failed. Over the next 15 years, I finished college, started my career and moved to Virginia. I called my dad periodically. I saw him rarely. We lived our own lives, separated by space and the kind of distance that builds up over a lifetime. Then he got a chest cold in the middle of summer. When my dad found out he was dying, he changed. Facing his own mortality, he came alive. He fought hard to live. He made it past a year and then another and then two more. He went to treatment and therapy like it was his job and he'd always been good at his job. Once he had the treatment plan down, my dad started working on his personal life. We talked a lot. He made me understand how difficult it was for him after the divorce, living so far away, commuting to work every day and then on the weekends to see his kids. I got a new perspective on my childhood through his eyes. And my dad no longer waited for me to call him. He called every day if he hadn't heard from me first. I started playing a new game with him. At the end of every phone call, he'd say goodbye, and then I'd say goodbye and hang up. But as I was hanging up, I'd hear him say, I love you. Then, of course, I needed him to know that I'd heard him, so I'd call him back and I'd say, I love you too, and then we'd laugh and hang up again. And so I started waiting at the end of every call for him to say, I love you, before hanging up. And he never let me down. As his cancer got worse, he and I grew closer. I drove to see him just about every weekend. Whenever I called to tell him I was getting on the road, he'd ask if I was crossing the Delaware, the halfway point on my drive to his house. No, dad, just getting in the car now. It was never soon enough for him. He was waiting for me and I was always late. I'd spend the weekend sometimes longer and we had a great time just hanging out. Leaving was the hard part. He seemed to forget when I was going to leave. If it was Sunday and I was packing, he'd say, I thought you were staying till Monday. If it was lunchtime, he'd say, I'm making a sauce for dinner. What kind of pasta you want? When I'd get in the car to go, he'd come out on the front porch to watch me drive away. He'd stand there and wave until I couldn't see him in my rearview mirror anymore. It made me cry every time. Not only because I felt so bad leaving him, but because I knew how hard it was to watch someone you love drive away. When I was a little girl, I'd stand at the front door and wave as daddy drove away. But something would break in me each time. And as he started down the road, I'd chase after him, running on the sidewalk, waving and yelling, bye daddy, bye daddy, until he was too far away for me to see. When I used to think about that memory, I'd feel so angry that he could have just driven away with me chasing after him. Now, 
all I can think is how hard it must have been for him to drive away each time, just like it was so hard for me all those years later. He may not have beaten cancer, but he found a way to heal us. When my dad died, I was devastated. That's it. So poignant. And I'm used to hearing you give or tell, I guess, stories that are like really humorous. So I feel really honored that you shared this one here today. Thank you. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, um, what struck me about this story the most, I think, at least in the immediacy after it, was the picture in my mind of you as the little girl waiting and then how the feeling of him failing you and what all of that emotion. And then later, the waiting on the phone for him to say, I love you. Like it just shows that people can grow and change and that's pretty dramatic. Yeah, um, it's, it's sad that it took him getting sick for him to change. Um, but I, um, it's in a weird way. And, and my brother and sister feel the same way. We're, we're grateful that we had, that he had cancer and that we got almost five years to, to get to know him, you know, as adults. Yeah. Why does it always take something like that, you know? <laughs> Or like a pandemic for us to, to reevaluate. Um, but it's true, right? Like that when your life changes completely, when it's turned upside down, it, it, those really are the moments when you think about what is most important. And, and the other thing I will say is, is to my dad's credit, I've, I've known other people who've had similar prognoses and, and didn't change and grow and heal. Um, so I, I will say, I think it's a great <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> it's not the best opportunity, but it does give people that opportunity um, as opposed to a, a tragic unexpected death. Um, but not everyone takes that opportunity. So that's, that's one thing that I'm, you know, I was really proud of my dad for having done. Yeah, what do you think made him choose to to do that uh i don't know i i mean my dad was always a he was always a deep thinker um i i think a lot of the reason that we grew apart honestly is is he you know he was an alcoholic and and he had a lot of guilt so i think a lot of the those sort of missing years if you will uh, were a lot of it was him just feeling like he couldn't make things work and that he'd already screwed everything up. And so, you know, why try? So I think when he essentially got 
a, a death sentence. I think that's when it sort of snapped him out of it a little bit, and and he realized like there's there's no there's no more time. I have to do this now. So yeah, yeah. that's really powerful. Like it in a way for me, it's about hope for for all of us. You know that and for ourselves too that we there always is a possibility for change yeah yeah why um why did you choose this story to share today um well you you had you know i thought it was appropriate for for this show yeah. <laughs> um and it's one or you know it might it might be the first story i guess that i ever told that really was about um a tragedy and about healing and change um, from tragedy. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think it also, it's one of the stories I've since told others, but it's one of the stories where through writing it, I gained a new perspective on my life. So what, what was that perspective? Like what shifted for you writing this one? Yeah, I, I think it was really just seeing the sort of, well, partly it was seeing the parallels. I mean, that that's not how our life happens, right? It, it, yeah. it wasn't a little girl and then a grown woman and then a little girl and then a grown woman. But when I started thinking about how my dad changed and I started thinking about, you know, the, the driving away from him every time I'd, I'd leave New Jersey, like I started remembering all those, I, I had this sort of deep-seated angst or anger or whatever about the way he was when I was a kid. And I, I vividly remember chasing him down the street and I, and it was such a painful memory for him, for me of him. And then when I started writing the story and sort of thinking about images that came to mind, I sort of realized that there was this parallel, um, and that helped me sort of tie all these pieces together in my mind, I guess. Yeah, I, I love how you did that in this piece. It works so beautifully and like you can just really envision it, just that waiting as a through line throughout the whole piece. Um, you, you, can, you can feel it. And, and I love the way that you tell stories. You, I mean, you really performed them and, I, and you really did that here. So it, it was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so you have been sharing your stories for a long time. How how did you get started with that? Um, so I was recently divorced or going through a divorce. I can't remember exactly back in you know 2006. Yeah, I guess I would have been divorced by then. Anyway, um, my friend Meredith was like my, my single girlfriend. You know, so we we ended up going out a lot, and she was performing um, a story at this show in DC called Speakeasy. And um, so, you know, she took me to a show and, and I thought it was fun. So, you know, the next time we went, I performed a story and, and it was a funny story and it went over well, like the, you know, the audience laughed when they were supposed to laugh and I didn't have a fantastic failure. <laughs> so, so I was kind of hooked. Um, and I, I just never really never really stopped. Once someone gave me that microphone, they couldn't get it out of my hand again. <laughs> and so from there, then you eventually went on to create your um, community of storytellers, Bed Better Said Than Done, 
How Mm -hmm. does that play into this whole story? So it's funny, my, my dad died in 2011 and um, I started Better Said Than Done in 2011. Oh. Um, and in fact, it's, this is a little bit, a little known fact, but in fact, the name came to me in a dream when I was trying to think of what to, to call the organization, I was mulling it over and I, I went to sleep one night and my dad was sitting at a computer and he just looked up and he said, better said than done. Duh. <laughs> Cause, wow. you know, and, uh, and I woke up and I was like, better said than done. I love it. Like, thanks dad. Oh, that's um, so cool. That's really cool. <laughs> and that yeah. you heard it like that. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it was, I mean, I, I like the name, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I started it primarily. So I was, at the time, Speakeasy DC was was just on Tuesday nights once a month in DC, mm-hmm. and I was going back and forth, you know, to perform there. There was nothing out in the suburbs, and you know, in Northern Virginia. And then on the weekends, I was going up to see my dad, and it was just, it was just one too many things. And this is, you know, this is the way my mind works rather than have to go into the city once a month i decided to just start a new business and like throw my own show because that would save me time and energy um (laughs) so it wasn't you know wasn't the smartest decision i ever made but it was um primarily because i just didn't want to have to drive into dc on a on a tuesday night (laughs) yeah so that was 2011 right yeah yeah you've been going for a long time with better said than done tell us what like, what is it? What's the concept? Uh, I will say it's sort of evolved recently, but um, primarily uh, we have two shows a month um, live, which is, you know, part of what's changed recently. Uh, one stage in Virginia, and then right before COVID-19 hit, we started a second show in DC. So, you know, we'll see what happens when this is over. But two shows a month, with a theme and we have about eight storytellers who usually join us and they share true personal stories on that month's theme. And how do you find your storytellers? I, I have been a storyteller with yes, you. Yes. Yes. How do you find um, or how do people come to you to perform? Yeah. So, so it's, it's both. Um, like you, I met through the insight shop and, and I liked you. So I, I, I wanted you to come and tell a story with us. Um, but, uh, these days more often than not people pitch a story. Um, and it's just people writing me an email or, you know, writing through the website if they don't know me, but it still comes to me and, uh, and saying, I want to be in your June 27th show. Um, here's my idea. Uh, and I will say again, you know, three, four, five years ago, I was just basically contacting all my storyteller friends and saying, we still need people for the June show. And now it's, we normally fill up about two months in advance. So it's, yeah, it's kind of taken off. Do you think that what's that shift from, is it, uh, like a societal thing where we're, where storytelling and sharing is more important to us? What's that? What do you think that's about? Uh, so I think, I mean, I think there's two things. I think storytelling has taken off because, uh, yeah, we need that human connection. We, we, the thing about true personal storytelling, which is different, there's, so this is part of the way we've been evolving, which I can talk about in a minute, but 
true personal storytelling like you would hear on the Moth Radio Hour um, or like we do at Better Said Than Done is about connecting with other people. It's, it is a community. You, you mentioned Better Said Than Done, the, our community, and, and it's, it's an accurate term. Um, for some people, storytelling, you know, replaces church. Um, for other people, it, it amends it. Um, but it's, it's that kind of feeling. Like I, I had a storyteller I, who just came and, and performed with one of our virtual shows the other day. And, uh, and I read in her bio that it was her second time performing. And I'm like, I, I thought you've been performing with us for forever because I know you so well. Mm. But she'd only told one story. But that, that creates this instant connection. Um, so I think that's part of it. And then in terms of better said than done, I think it's just that sort of time equals recognition. Uh, you know, I think just because we've held on for so long, I think people are finally like, oh, right, I have heard of them. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't agree with you more about the connection and feeling like after you've heard a true personal story from someone that it, it does make you feel like you've known them and and that empathy connection between you is is so remarkable and um what you said about replaces church or amends it oh <laughs> that's good what keeps you jessica telling your stories what like is it the connection piece why do you keep you know because you correct me if i'm wrong you participate in each show no, um, I used to. Again, that was part of that, like, needing to fill the lineup thing. Um, so now it's funny. I, I don't. I, per I participate probably in, you know, one out of every four shows, maybe one out of every five shows. Um, because, you know, because there's only so many <laughs> new stories I can come up with. And I try not to repeat myself unless I'm, you know, in a different location or something. Sure. Um, but I do enjoy it, and I and I do perform at other you know other events. Uh, I think I, I, it is the connection. I mean, that's part of it. And and if I'm being honest, it again it goes back to that very first time. Um, I I get a response from the audience, and it's a positive response, and that feels really nice. Um, whether it's a, a funny story and they're laughing when they're supposed to be laughing, or when it's a deep story and I see people crying, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of enjoy making people cry too. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a connection. Um, and I've, you know, I've made a ton of friends through storytelling, but it is also a little bit of just feeling like I'm, I'm good at this and I have something to say and people like hearing it. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I think about a lot the distinctions or our preferences for writing, whether we're writing in a journal or we're writing a personal essay and writing in a way that we're not planning to share, you know, versus mm -hmm. what we're talking about today, which is sharing a personal story that maybe was a story that was written first. Um, and like, what is the benefit of the sharing piece? So usually when I'm working with students or clients, I usually coach them. I mean, they're coming to me for a different reason. People are coming to you to share their story with a, with an audience versus mm -hmm. people who mm -hmm. come to work with me are really trying to find healing through writing. And so something I say a lot is your story first 
is for you. First and foremost, it's for you. And then we can think about whether you want to share it. But, but, and I, or yeah, and I think that even sharing it with me, you know, having a student share their story just with me, there is something just, just so powerful in sharing it, even with one other person that I think is similar really to what you're alluding to with sharing it to a bigger audience. Yeah, so certainly with the the more serious stories, and we've had uh, we've had some really serious stories. You know, there's there's death, there's abuse, there's rape, there's you know, there's there's a lot of very personal things that that I have shared that other storytellers have shared, um, and I think part of what is cathartic about sharing it on a stage is when you get off that stage and you have people come up to you and say, thank you. I, I needed someone else to tell me that I wasn't the only one who has been through that. Um, so again, it goes back to you're sharing your story because someone else needs to hear it. And in a way you telling a story that is deeply personal and, and might be about it a, a painful experience in your life and and having helped someone else through sharing your story I think really does help you it, it's sort of a karmic return yeah yeah oh I, I believe that too that's so true um so as we're kind of wrapping up today I'd love for you to tell us I know you do some I don't know if you call it coaching but helping people craft the story that they're going mm -hmm. to tell on stage mm -hmm. and give us a little insight into how, how do you help people do that? Um, well, in two ways. One, we, we actually have a rehearsal for every show we do. Um, even now that we're online, we're, we're, we're meeting on Zoom a week before our shows and, and storytellers rehearse their, their stories and, and you know, we all give each other feedback. Um, and then I, I have workshops and in the workshop, so we primarily focus in, in the workshops on structure, um, what you need, you know, to make a good dramatic arc, um, you know, how, how much information you need to share about the main characters, character development kind of stuff. So it's, it's a focus on writing and a focus on editing, um, as in what, parts of your life are necessary to include in this one story um, and it's and then and then sometimes some of that involves getting very personal and discussing more information than maybe we need for the story just to kind of get at the heart of the story can you can you talk a little more about what what you mean by that um, yeah so uh, <laughs> So for example, with performing a story, so we do have people perform very serious stories sometimes. Um, and our rule for performing a story is you have to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, it, and, and this is, this is meant to be fun. This is meant to be a feel good experience. So if, if this story is too painful, if you're not ready to work on it, if you're not ready to share it, then, then don't, there's no pressure. Um, but if you want to share it, then you need to be, you need to be okay to share it. You need to be okay with what happened and, and with talking about what happened. And you also need to understand what happened. 
So sometimes in, in our workshops or even in our rehearsals, people are telling a story and there's, there's just something that seems off and you have to discuss that with them and say, I don't understand, you know, why you stayed with this guy, or I don't understand, you know, why you kept going back, or I don't understand what was holding you in the situation. And then you end up getting in a conversation where you realize that there was something else going on and that makes the story mean something entirely different. And, you know, and again, storytelling is for the storyteller as much as it's for the audience. Um, so if they don't want to share that publicly, that's fine. But a lot of that kind of background information sometimes needs to be dug through to, to give them an understanding of what the story is really about. Yeah. So it's the, it is important to, as you're crafting your story to be sharing it so you can get the, at least if you're going to be telling it live, to mm -hmm. that you can get the understanding from other people or the comprehension of the story from other people. Cause we are kind of like blind to our own stories sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and again, I don't, you know, and what I do maybe a little bit different than what you do. Um, so what I always tell people is storytelling is not therapy, but writing and crafting a story is therapeutic. Mm, mm hmm. Um, so I, I think people, whether or not, you know, again, there's, there's stories about like getting drunk and there's stories about just doing stupid stuff. Like there's definitely stories that are not <laughs> therapeutic by any way or means, but yeah, the deeper stories, I think you really do have to kind of work out your issues in order to write a better story. Yeah, I agree with that. And I have experienced that with people too. And with myself, I feel like that's something that I am still learning and if even though my stories are usually published in a written format and not mm -hmm. um not spoken out loud it's still the same idea of what's important to include and um how, how can i make sure that i'm conveying the story in a way that the audience can receive it and follow me because otherwise it's like you you'll lose people yeah yeah if you had someone who was not versed at all in, in writing their stories and telling them out loud, what would you tell them about getting started? If they, well, so assuming we're talking about performing a story as opposed to just writing a story, um, I would say the first thing to do is go to storytelling shows Hmm. Uh, I get inspired every time I, I watch a storytelling show. In fact, you know, all those times that I'm not performing a story, I'm sitting there kicking myself going, oh, I just thought of a great story that I could have told tonight. So I think that that is part of the process is watching other storytellers because it helps not only see what people are doing right and, and see what you, you might want to not repeat, um, but it also helps sort of make you think about the things that have happened to you that might not seem like stories until you've heard someone else tell a story about something similar and you go, Oh yeah, that, that's a great story. Um, and then also I think just, you know, every, everybody who teaches writing, I think says this and that's the, just do it. You know, it doesn't matter if it's good, just, just write stuff. And even if you're journaling, even if you're just writing down notes, just, just write stuff out, it, whether on paper or even, you know, sometimes I talk to myself when I'm on the treadmill or, you know, in the shower, yeah. just start. Yeah, 
I totally agree with that one for sure. So if people are interested in checking out a better said than done show, I know mm-hmm. things have transitioned since the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about where people can find you or, or yeah, find so we are online now and we've had two live zoom shows, which, um, I actually, I, I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I think they've gone pretty well. Um, so we have, um, we have eight storytellers and they've, you know, we, we coach everyone on how to make sure you can hear them and see them. And then they perform in front of their, you know, their computer camera live after people register. And we have three in May and, uh, I'm suspecting that we'll probably have them online in June, but I don't know yet, but, uh, Anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, and we're asking audience members just to pay what they can. It's a minimum of $5. Um, Our tickets were 15 for live shows, uh, so people can pay five or they can pay, you know, 30 if they want to. It's, uh, It's kind of a sliding scale, so. And where do people go to find out about the shows? Um, on our website, so it's better said than done.com backslash storytelling dash shows. But if you just go to better said than done.com, you can, you know, click on the tab that says storytelling shows. Great. And is that the best place if people wanted to connect with you or are you on any social platforms that you want to share with us? We are, we're everywhere. <laughs> it's a lot of work being on all of them, but um, yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook at better said than done. And on Twitter, it's at better said done. And then we have a ton of videos on our YouTube channel, which is also better said done. Um, and then we have a newsletter and we have a blog, but you know, that's all, that's all stuff that uh, you can contact me through the website to, to get put on our newsletter and the blog is on the website. So great. Well, it's been so much fun to reconnect with you here today and for me to have the space to hear your story. So thank you so much for for being here and sharing with us. I really appreciate you having me uh, on on the podcast. It's, uh, It's been great talking with you. Take care, Jessica. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I want to ask you, who in your life needs to hear this story today? Go ahead and share it with them. And if you love this show, leave me a rating and a review on iTunes. Head over to OrchidStory.com if you want more from Orchid Story. And remember, your story is your strength.